Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Mike McIsaac, CEO and Managing Director of Baker Tilly Canada Corporate Finance, to discuss the booming M&A market and what lies ahead in this rapidly changing landscape. We'll explore the many ways that the pandemic has created both hurdles and opportunities for business leaders, new approaches for ensuring organisational alignment, and how leadership and culture factor into the equation. Finally, we'll discuss the considerations business leaders should weigh before embarking on the M&A journey and how they can proactively plan for success. Before we start, I want to thank all of you listeners out there. If you have a topic or a person you'd love to hear on the show, please send us an email at connectedandready at microsoft.com. We're so thankful for you all. Now, on with the episode. Mike, thanks so much for coming and joining us on the show today. Let's start with some introductions. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what drew you to the world of M&A. Okay, thanks very much for having me. I'm uh, Mike McIsaac, born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. A little bit about me, I was traditionally a basketball player, went to Simon Fraser University and and played basketball and earned my economics degree. And shortly after SFU and my aspirations of playing in the NBA didn't come through, I became a CPA. (laughs) And uh, I focused my career on corporate tax, valuation, corporate structure, uh, negotiations. And over the years in mergers and acquisitions, I've uh, worked on uh, over 100 transactions that I've been a part of, ranging in industries from traditional bricks and mortar in manufacturing, infrastructure, road building, and also more recently across technology, healthcare. And um, I'm a deal junkie at heart. I've bought and sold many of my own businesses, and I've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs buy and sell their own. Amazing. Well, we're really happy to have you here, Mike, and what a great profile you have that's very apt for talking about the world of M&A, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. So maybe let's start with a little bit of big picture. Tell us what's happening in the overall M&A landscape and perhaps give us a bit of context around how that differs or not from what you saw pre-COVID. Imagine if COVID never happened, do you think we'd be in the spot that we're in right now? Well, 2020 was definitely a very chaotic and extraordinary year. Pre-COVID, the market was you know, I, I look at it, there was sort of this trifecta conditions happening. Debt was cheap. It was readily available. Private equity was at all-time record levels. They had cash in their bank accounts looking to invest it. The baby boomers were starting to retire. And this was creating this situation where businesses were looking to transition and there was money and debt to buy them. So it was fantastic. 2019 was a great year. It was our best year on, on records as an m and firm. And 2020 was shaping up early on. The first three months, we had already done as, as much business as we had in 2019. So um, if it had have continued, I probably would be sitting in Hawaii talking to you and not in Vancouver. <laughs> 2020 was, you know, I think everybody has a pretty good sense of what happened. As far as M&A and the impact, you know, jobless rates spiked, uh, GDP estimates plummeted. 
the banks stopped lending, and that meant that M&A was down over 80% in the first half of, of 2020. More than 50% of the deals were, were just put on hold or halted altogether. And so that created a you know this huge void in, in our industry. Um, and that was across the world. It wasn't unique to Canada or, the, or North America. It was right around the world. But, you know, in late 2020, the markets picked up and, you know, people responded well to uh, how they could do transactions remotely like this using technology to communicate. And although the banks were, were still moving very slowly, the buyer appetite was very strong. They still wanted to move quickly and execute on deals. So we found by the end of 2020, there was almost as many deals that transacted as 2019. It was a different mix of businesses, though. We, we early on uh, defined them as more defensive industries that had an advantage over other companies, nor they thrived and prospered under the new reality of, of how we were living. And very much I see that in 2021 forward, where there's this appetite for private equity firms to transact, and the boomers still very much need to retire, and interest rates are still really low. So right now, it's a great time in our industry. So that's sort of the high level of where it is. So you mentioned that, of course, 2020 was this chaotic year economically, but then it rebounded, you know, the latter part of the year. And in 2021, it's already sort of shattering records. I mean, what would you say is fueling this activity? Um, You've talked a little bit about maybe a different mix of businesses or I guess businesses that have thrived in this new reality but is it something more you know is there increased optimism for the future are there different factors at play what's your sort of hunch as to why we're now back or indeed even more so increasing records and moving things forward in the world of M&A in 2021? Yeah great question and I think the makeup of where we were at in 2019 you know debt was cheap Private equity had shifted away from the traditional public markets and was looking in the private markets and, you know, the baby boomers. And I really think people don't credit or recognize enough the impact of how baby boomers will play into M&A going forward. We hear a lot about the very large transactions in the marketplace, but the number of transactions in the small to medium-sized businesses is, you know, the volume is just so much greater. And that's because you know, baby boomers would have traditionally, you know, like when I first got in to the CPA industry, baby boomers would have been transitioning their businesses to or within their family or maybe even within their their management team. But there just isn't that same appetite for family or management teams to acquire businesses. So back in the 90s, when I first started in this industry, you would have seen more than 75% of businesses transact within their family. And now it's completely opposite. It's greater than 75% that will transact to a third party outside of their business. That's where I really see this market heading over the next 10 years, where there's going to be this great transition of privately held businesses. And it's different than in the past. And what do you think is is fueling that? Is that a kind of just sheer sort of increased ability to do things internationally? Is that technology opening up this sort of floodgates of globalism or something? You know, what is it that's, um, would you say, from, you know, from your experience or perhaps even viewing things from a cultural standpoint, talking to people within your own industry. I mean, that seems like a huge shift that must be fueled by something else other than just time. Well, the perspective that I take on it is in 2000, the technology bubble popped. 
and a lot of bricks and mortar type businesses kind of went, whew, that's good. You know, that's not going to impact my business. But steadily over the past 20 years, technology has crept into every industry. I can't think of any industry that has been unaffected by technology in any way. But that's part of it for sure. But really, you know, the need for a transaction is one thing. And then the size of a transaction historically would have prevented somebody from crossing a border and investing into a new territory, even if it was within their own industry and it was strategically going to be an advantage. The costs and the regulatory and maybe the fears around operating across the border prevented that from happening, except at the much larger scale. And definitely now, for sure, like technology like this, what we're using helps, you know, gives the ability of somebody who's going into a new market to, you know, lowers the cost for one thing. You don't necessarily have to go and do all the things that we would have said even as little as a year ago to evaluate a business or territory. You can do a lot of it remotely. And, you know, the first step in our industry around financials, a lot of the, the technology that's used for that would be way more advanced, you know, the use of artificial intelligence and how they're analyzing a business. And I don't mean in the business yet, you know, just how we're looking at a business, you know, we're relying on technology to such a greater degree. So that means that we've seen these transactions where, you know, would have maybe been $100 million transactions are now into the, well, still, you know, probably north of $10 million, but that seems like a very small transaction if somebody's crossing a border. Um, they better really know what they're doing if they're crossing a border and if it's a small transaction at the $10 million range, then there's a lot of risks in that transaction. Microsoft Dynamics 365 Finance helps organizations monitor the performance of global financial operations in real time, predict future outcomes, and make data-driven decisions to drive growth. It empowers users to do business anywhere, anytime with an intuitive user interface personalized for their role and preferences. Request a live demo today by following the link in the episode description. So in talking about, I guess, this international question, you said, you know, companies that want to think about working internationally or merging internationally, you know, better know what you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that or perhaps what the general state of play is when we're thinking about these international contexts? Yeah, I mean, I, I can assume that you understand how to operate your business and within the same business. But when you're crossing borders internationally, now are, are going to be dealing in new regulatory regimes, even between Canada and the U.S., the structure of how you own your business is significant, how taxes flow between your corporations to you individually is significant. And if you do it incorrectly, you're going to be fraught with pain later on. The worst situations I've seen are when a structure has chosen poorly and it's resulted in excess of 70% in taxes back to the shareholder, whether it was in Canada or the U.S. It's one thing. Regulatory, so knowing how to move either people or products or supplies across a border, it's difficult. Even in between Canada and the U.S., which have a very friendly border, shipping of goods and materials across the border, you need to be an expert. You need to use custom shippers and you know how that impacts your business. Employees across the border is another great one. You know What happens when you have an employee in Florida 
and you're based in Vancouver. Like, does that mean that you're now CITUS in both of those jurisdictions and you're reporting in both of them? Better know the answer to those things well in advance. That's a fraction of, of some of the things that, that you would need to, to dive into. Let's talk a little bit then about technology in the business. You, you mentioned it there when you were talking about using technology for assessment of M&A, but let's talk about technology at the point of M&A, shall we say, or in the process of the merge. Um, obviously, in the past year, we've been talking a lot about this huge acceleration of digital transformation, but not every company has moved at the same pace. What would be some technology strategies that you would advise your clients on that would create stronger alignment between companies whilst also advancing digital transformation? Yeah, digital transformation, it's such a great topic. People's spending habits are changing so quickly with technology, the businesses have to adapt to it. So you know, we talk about merging two businesses now. There's many young businesses that are completely reliant and built upon technology in the same space as businesses that are what we would call dinosaurs. They haven't started to use any technology. I'm not going to lie. It's very difficult to merge those two businesses, those two different types of ways of doing business and trying to find which way is supposed to be used going forward. It creates a great opportunity for whoever acquires, depending on, on how they buy that business, but injecting technology and use of technology into the processes around a business that hasn't used it is obviously going to drive a lot of transactions, but it's not easy once you get in there to try and make people change the way they're doing things, telling them that they need to use a certain software or otherwise picking between softwares and then changing that process around that software is not easy. Are there any specific kinds of technologies, systems, platforms that are perhaps more difficult to merge versus others? You know, I, I think generally speaking, they're all difficult to merge, but at the very highest end of the ERP systems or enterprise resource planning software, they are the most difficult to merge. You've become very vested as an organization around your ERP system your ERP technology, and it really should be driving the way all the different divisions within a business operate and communicate with each other. And it's a very large investment as well, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, even for smaller companies, you're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars to change that. And then if you step back and if it's just CRM, you know, I think generally people would probably think, well, it's not quite as more difficult, but yeah, of course it is. It's, it's your interface for how your people are dealing with customers and relationships and it's some of your most valuable data is trapped in your CRM and having it moved or changed is impactful on your business. What would you say, you know, maybe some examples of either technology strategies or approaches to technology or even innovations themselves, such as AI, that have perhaps created greater efficiencies during transition? You know, is this something that I guess companies can plan for, can kind of, um, get their ducks in a row, shall we say, in that process around trying to make that merger more seamless or also more attractive when it comes to actually considering what the terms of the merger look like? Well, that whole culture clash is one of the biggest reasons for the failure of a merger. But if you take a step back, I think early on, if you want to avoid that clash, you're going to have to do a adequate due diligence and understanding what you're buying in advance. What's the first 100 days look like? And that's looking at their business systems, their people, their financial reporting, all of those things. And the most important thing would be to keep that to 
the key people that are involved and probably all employees day one they need to know how it affects them but if you can do that when you do that that's where you're going to gain the most synergies around use of technology or transition of technology the communication to employees of course they want to make sure that they have a job but they'll want to know a lot more about who this new owner is what's in it for them how does it affect my pay rate how does it affect my benefits how does it affect my time which of those out of the two entities is going to control all of those things that affect the employees. When it comes to them managing this culture class, as you say, and, and particularly when it is the sort of reason, for lack of a word, of this high failure rate, how important then is, is leadership or strong leadership on both sides? You know, what sort of traits would you say are particularly important success? And, and part of the reason I ask this question is a lot of the time in this podcast when we're talking about technology and how we can do digital transformation better, a lot of the time we revert back to at the end of the day, this is about people. It's not always about the selection of the technology or the choice of system and so on and so forth, but rather mindsets and modes of leadership that allow for technology to, you know, potential to be realized, shall we say, throughout the company. But more broadly, let's talk about leadership specifically around managing cultures when something like a merger is happening. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the leadership is everything in not only just running and maintaining a business, but in this, you know, in a transaction. You know, owning and running a private business is just not for the faint of heart. I often say that ownership is overrated. It's a roller coaster ride and your responsibilities are vast and they change every day. That being said, the leaders that are going to survive and thrive in coming decades are, are those that have the abundance mindset, those that embrace change in whatever form it is, if it's especially technology and finding ways to use it within their, their organization. The big challenge in selling a business, if we go you know, talking about leaders and why deals don't fail, why deals might fail, the biggest challenge in selling a you know, small to medium-sized business is, this, is the transformation of what we call personal goodwill into business goodwill, personal goodwill built around the leader who starts a business and at first does everything all by themselves, and then it morphs into this larger organization that has a, has a culture and visibility bigger than just the leader. If they want to have anything other than just the assets of that business to sell, the leader needs to transform his personal goodwill into the business goodwill so that it can move along to somebody else. Yeah, I think leadership is everything. That's I'm going to end on that for sure. When you're um, working with perhaps new clients or exploring potential for M&A activity and perhaps for listeners out there who have tuned into this episode, who are perhaps in the exploratory stages of a deal or are thinking that this is something that they're going to aspire to later on with their business, how can they proactively plan for success considering this high failure rate for M&A deals? Great question. I have a lot of thoughts about that and some of them are more around you know the corporate finance related, which I think that you'd hear a lot from somebody like me, but COVID and pre-COVID has presented new challenges for employers and uh, employer-employee relationships. But full-time remote work is something that's come up. We just didn't see coming in. There was a lot of resistance to remote work. Uh, what's the hybrid workforce look like? And as an employer and as a leader, are you going to embrace that or are you going to shut it back down? Um, how does this affect offices? Uh, are you still going to need a big, a big an office? Are you going to share offices? How does it affect your overhead? How does it affect your productivity? Um, these are all really big questions that you'll need to respond to going forward, and it'll have an impact on your business value. 
you know, my dad always said to stay out of religion and politics. But you know what? As a business nowadays, you're going to have to have a response to social justice movements and political debates. The expectation on you as an employer has changed, and you need to be more than just involved in the debates, more than just a public statement. It has to be authentic, and it's going to draw people to you, or it's going to move people away. So there needs to be this alignment of values at the very top end of your business now that there was never the expectation before. Coming out of COVID has impacted absolutely everybody, whether you recognize it or not. Um, but again, it's a question mark. What are you going to do? Are you just thinking that you're going to go back to normal and, and everybody's going to fend for themselves? Or as an employer, are you going to dig in and help manage life experience and work experiences and be active around that? And then another one that I think is developing very quickly is ESG and social purpose. You know, ESG more of just, uh, you know, meeting the minimum standards and social purpose being quite a bit bigger and having authentic social goals that, that drive your purpose and, and finding a way where social purpose and profits have alignment. So there's some four very large challenges for an employer to be thinking about how do you respond now that we're coming out of COVID? And if you don't think that these impact value, then I can tell you emphatically you're wrong. These all impact value significantly. It's so amazing to get that context and, to, you know, because I think a lot of time those, shall we say, softer points or things that perhaps seem quite intangible, the stuff matters and, you know, not thinking about it isn't just a case of not doing the right thing or whatever is tangible in terms of business. Let's just quickly, before we wrap up, I want to dive back into this technology question and kind of the role that the leaders um, in the technology parts of the business, the CTOs, what they can do in particular to help their companies innovate and adapt and, and get ready, plan for success. Um, and as I say, those exploratory stages of m and are there some sort of signals that a company may or not be ready for a transaction? You know, thinking, putting on that CTO hat for a second, how would you um, consider that question of readiness? Well, let's talk about the, you know, the AI first. We may not actually see many companies using AI. And you might think that it's a relatively new new concept, but I mean, it's obviously been around for a long, long time. The developing part of AI is is around computing power and the cost of using AI in, in whatever it's for. Obviously, the most easily understandable uses of AI are around, you know, online advertising and shopping. But once you get past that, I mean, think of the impact that uh, AI has had on and technology has had on the music industry on healthcare, you know, where it was in 2019 or the early of 2021, the impact on travel and technology and AI, I mean, it was just starting to really boom and it's going to go that way. Smart homes, uh, smart cities, again, they're just sort of scratching at the beginning of, of using AI and technology. As a business leader, uh, I think that you need to be embracing this possible change like how is this going to fit into your business i think that's the part where you're you're just not embracing it yet and so you, you need to go back to the table and, and and reassess all of your processes around that and see somebody's going to be looking at your business and they're going to be saying the same thing how do i introduce technology how do i introduce ai into your business so if you want to have a successful exit those are the things you need to be looking at already more and more the conversation around technology is not just 
you need to keep up and you need to make sure you know what's going on and implement it in your business. But also then talking about actually you need to do this in an ethical manner. You need to be able to consider what the perhaps negative impacts of implementing technology. I mean, you mentioned and touched on and addressed this idea of, you know, robots stealing jobs and things like this, but there's a much broader discussion to be had around, you know, inherent bias, around shifts in labor, so many different things. So how does a, a leader in a company that's sort of trying to ready themselves, balancing so many different things from making sure that they're kind of tapped in culturally to making sure they've already gone through digital transformation to such a degree that it makes them valuable enough to be acquired. But then also considering, you know, having the right or good, reasonable responses to questions around uh, the utilization of, of technology in the business. What, what advice would you give for those leaders? I'd say you need help. You got to get help, right? Um, I mean, I'll talk first about Social Purpose Institute. Our organization went through the Social Purpose Institute. It's it's sponsored by the United Way uh, here in Canada. But I mean, the the bigger purpose around it or the the why is it's helping businesses define their reasons for being in social terms and placing it at the core of their operation. So it becomes that engine that powers their business and and the big and contributes to a better world. So is this just fluff? Well, the businesses that start to adopt this are going to have a a competitive advantage, and it's going to help them navigate through these turbulent times. You talk about a leader that doesn't know how to respond to some of these things that are going on. Ask for help. Go read. Go talk to people that specialize in it. Pick and choose what parts of it resonate with you and your people. It's not something that you have to take all of it and swallow it all down. And that might be a bit more false. Take it on and understand how it applies to your business, how it applies to you and your people, how, you know, what core values resonate. Where do you want and see it being a part of your organization? It doesn't mean that you have to have your people handing out food at a, a kitchen. It doesn't mean that you're collecting bottles. You know, that's not what it is. But it, it does mean that you're thinking about it at a very high level as to how your business is going to be tied in. And, you know, like what you said, you know, like it's got to be authentic. Management teams, you know, I'll go back to some of the traditional stuff as a business leader needing to survive. You need a great management team around you and you need to make them accountable. You need to bring them into the leadership role very much and give away their responsibilities for doing, you know, if you're holding on to everything as a business leader, you're going to have a hard time with it. But Again, you know, you can read books or you can talk to advisors about business management systems and you can bring in a coach to help you uh, manage that difficult time of transition. Talk to other business owners. Definitely talk to your advisors, you know, your traditional accountants, your lawyers, M&A advisors like myself. They're going to help you and turn you on to other areas where you might be missing. And they already know your business as well. So talking to your trusted advisors about that is uh, is the way to go. Amazing, Mike. I think that's a, a lovely point to end on with some, uh, always love some good book recommendations, but I think also a positive note there that, you know, as I've sort of outlining, this can probably feel quite overwhelming for leaders and companies that just want to do right by um, 
by the businesses, but most importantly, by their fellow employees. So thank you so much for sharing both those kind of broad insights about um, the state of the world, but some of these really actionable, useful points that listeners can hopefully take something from and, and go take some action today. So Mike, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Oh, thank you very much, Gemma. My pleasure. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Mike's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Learn how Microsoft Dynamics 365 Finance is helping organizations monitor the performance of global financial operations in real time, predict future outcomes, and make the data-driven decisions to drive growth. Request a live demo today by following the link in the episode description.